Welcome to Sobre Mesa with me, Alan McGuire. Today is Monday the 7th of September and it's the week the kids are going back to school. Well, many of them. Um, today I have several stories for you that have been in the Spanish um, news headlines over the past week. But I also have the second part of my interview with Professor Sandy Olguin. Last week we were speaking about Spain or, or the construction of Spain's national identity or identities and today we're going to be talking about regional identities but before I play you that interview I want to go through a few stories this week was it was announced there would be a merger of two of Spain's biggest banks to make Spain's biggest bank now often Santander and BBVA or BBVA uh, are often, you know, they're the two biggest banks that with the biggest national, uh, sorry, international presence. Uh, but there is also Bankia and La Caixa. So La Caixa is a Catalan bank, um, and Bankia is uh, was originally um, an amalgamation of Caja de Oros, uh, which were the small regional banks that uh, had problems during around 2008-2010 with the financial crash and a lot of them merged together to form Bankia. Uh, Bankia was later um, bailed out by the European Union and the Spanish government currently hold 61% of it or they are the shareholders 61% um, after being bailed out in 2012. So La Caixa and Bankia are looking to merge together. They would become Spain's biggest bank. They would have a combined. They would have combined assets of six hundred and fifty billion pounds. Um, they're doing this in response to the oncoming economic fallout. Uh, you know, it's this is being encouraged by the Bank of Spain, and it's also being encouraged by the European Central Bank. Um, and should the merger go ahead, which it looks like it is. Uh, this will mean that the government will have a 14% stake in this new bank and uh, La Caixa will be the biggest shareholder with a 30% share. And the two CEOs from Bankia and La Caixa are looking to be sort of joint CEO or, or um, to head up this new bank. So that's something worth keeping an eye on. Another slow burning story in Spain this week is the reappointment of several positions in key institutions within the country. So these key institutions, um, which are the General Council of the Judiciary, so this oversees the independence of Spanish judges and the legal system, um, they, they've been pending uh, an appointment of several different members for a while. And also the Constitutional Court needs new um, appointees. Uh, this is the, the part of the court that oversees questions that are connected to the Constitution. So, you know, they were key in in the Catalan independence episode from 2017. And uh, also the head of the Spanish state um, broadcaster, RTVE. Um, he, they need to be pointed as well. And the, the head of the ombudsman. So these positions um, have been waiting, some of them two years, and it, this could go on for some time. Uh, they've been waiting uh, to have people appointed in, in positions of power. And the people that were appointed 
last time were appointed under the PP. So, you know, this government has a democratic right uh, as a minority government to appoint people. However, these appointments normally need more than a, than a majority. So a normal majority in the Congress is 176 um, votes. Often this government relies on people abstaining. Uh, but actually you need 210 votes for this uh, particular um, issue to pass in Congress. So they often, they are going to need the support of people from the opposition. So, you know, even if they got all the independents together, they're still going to need the PP, who are the biggest and probably the most approachable party on the on the right, on the opposition. Uh, Thirodanos, who are also in opposition, but I think they only have about 13 seats, uh, have been talking with Pedro Sanchez and they've been a lot more amenable. So last Wednesday, uh, Pablo Casada, the leader of the PP and Prime Minister Pedro Sanchez, met um, for two hours um, at Moncloa. And uh, basically, Casado, Pablo Casado, has refused to support any um, uh, appointments to any of these positions. Uh, he's also refused to support any budget. So Spain is still working on the financial um, budget of the Rajoy government. Uh, and it cannot, you know, if it wants to move forward, um, then it needs to uh, pass a new budget, which, as we talked about last week, is going to be this this government's biggest test. Reason Casado doesn't want to support this is because he believes that if he supports him, then this is him um, acknowledging the coalition government and also acknowledging Podemos, who he says or he cites as the main reason for not supporting the PSOE um, in these key areas, the budget and the appointments of these key figures within the Spanish state. Uh, he says that they're unconstitutional, that they are under uh, investigation for financial irregularities, um, and also that uh, they want to break down the constitution within Spain. Actually, um, as always, Pablo Casado, I mean, this guy, I personally, I don't think his leadership's been that great. I think for someone who's the leader of a, one of the the main uh, political parties in Spain, he's doing very poorly. Like These excuses are terrible. Pablo Iglesias often cites the Constitution and, and it's and it's coming, you know, there seems to be this holy scripture approach in, in Spanish politics. Like, we all have to respect the Constitution. Yes, the Constitution uh, is fundamental cornerstone of, of society but it has been changed twice in the past um, and the Pessoa and the PP were able to work on this together this was when the EU wanted it changed for budgetary reasons um, but also you know constitutions change they're amended um, as I'm sure many Americans will will tell you um, and it's this point that um, you know this inflexibility it's really just you know, doesn't stand up to scrutiny when the PP themselves have been, uh, you know, I think at one point they had more deputies of Congress in prison than they did um, than they did actually in the Congress. So, you know, that says a lot about Partido Popular. That isn't to say all other politicians in Spanish life are clean, especially the Pessoe.
Anyway, moving on from that. The coronavirus still continues to roar on through the Spanish country. And this Saturday, um, El País reported that Spain hit half a million cases. Since, well, this is in counting since March. Uh, regional governments all over Spain continue to tighten measures to try and get this under control. You know, uh, health and, and the management of health comes down to a regional level. And, you know, an example is the Madrid region has said less than 10, you know, groups of people have to be less than 10 um, in public. Um, and a lot of places are also lower in percentages, um, you know, in bars or in museums, the percentage of capacity that they can have. Uh, specific zones have been uh, asking residents not to leave their homes or, or as little as possible. Um, and all of this is mounting. Uh, the, the spread is slowing, but um, cases are obviously still on the rise, but just at a slower rate. This comes, you know, this week. The kids are due to go back to school. And uh, some regions have, have completely put off going back to school until they can guarantee the safety of children and teachers. Uh, so areas such as Astorias and the Canary Islands. You know, they're holding off till about September the 21st. Um, but the major drama or what's been on the news this week is Madrid. Um, Madrid had last week was testing teachers, giving all teachers a an antibodies test. Um, and one of the areas had to be shut down because teachers were queuing around the block. They were all like quashed together. I even heard... Um, one teacher say, you know, if I haven't had, if I don't have coronavirus, I've probably picked up now from being in the queue of all these people. Um, and following those tests, so they, so they shut the, this area down. It was going well at several other areas, it must be said. Um, but 2000, between 2000 and 2500 teachers have post tested positive for antibodies. So that means they need to have a further test, like the PCR test. Um, if this comes back positive, they will have to isolate and they will have to be replaced in the school by another teacher. So this is going to be putting more pressure on teachers to try and keep people safe. And, you know, this come this comes last week, uh, Isabel Ayuso, the president of Comunidad de Madrid, said it, it was a bit of a Boris Johnson statement, said that all, you know, all kids are going to have the virus by the end of the year. I'm not sure what she was trying to um, gain by saying this, uh, but, you know, Madrid has come under a lot of scrutiny for its... Um, management of the coronavirus. That's it for my update. Here is my interview uh, where we talk about the regional the regional identities within Spain and how they interact with the national identity, but also what effect the EU has had on Spain and its effect on politics of today and possibly the future. And over the coming weeks, um, not in a row, but um, as I gain and convince people to join, uh, let me interview them. I will be interviewing different people from, from said regions. So this um, this week on the 11th of September is the Catalonian National Day and I will have a one-off special episode where I will be interviewing Alicia Fernandez Grande who is a researcher based in the States and she is also Catalan uh, where we will be talking about Catalan independence but also Catalan identity. So please make sure you tune in for that interview 
on the 11th. And I hope to bring you more interviews with people from other regions in the future. If you know anybody that's from Galicia, Castellón, Castilla-La Mancha, uh, Asturias, and they would like to talk on, on the issue of identity and, and just general things that are going on in the region itself, uh, then please put them in contact with me. You can reach me on Twitter, uh, Facebook. And if the person doesn't have either of those social media platforms, but you do, feel free to, well, you need to obviously ask them first, but feel free to uh, send me an email address and I'm, or a telephone number and I'm happy to contact them um, and ask them if they would be interested in being interviewed. So without further ado, here is my interview with Professor Sandy Olguin. Here we will be talking about regional identity and how the European Union and the formation of the EU has also impacted upon the Spanish identity and its politics of today and possibly the future. I hope you enjoy the interview. So yeah, so before I moved to Spain, I sort of you know had the ignorant sort of view that Spain was sort of paella, bullfighting, I don't know, people very dark skinned people with black hair and, and brown eyes and um that spoke very fast and uh all worked on the beach <laughs> you know that sort of like very bad stereotype um but i you know it's i think it's one that a, a lot of people have maybe they have obviously they have better ideas than i had when i f first come here or when i first met my wife but um I think one thing that you don't see from the outside is is how regional Spain is. So, mm -hmm. you know, I didn't even know such a thing as Galicia existed. Uh, I knew Catalonia was a little bit different, um, but not, you know, not hugely. I knew they had a different sort of language. Um, and Madrid, I sort of knew it was in the centre, but I didn't know, you know, anything about their regional identity. Um, but it wasn't until I moved here that I saw, you know, how regional it really is. Mm -hmm. um, um, how important are they to constructing the sort of larger national identity? Uh, and what influence do they have on it? So um, from your point of view. Well, some places want to have more influence than others. Uh -huh. and, and again, I think when you're talking about Spain, you have to talk about national identities. There is the the one that you know has been kind of used from the at least the 19th century on, which is based in Castile. You know, the central where in Madrid, where the court and the government is. Uh -huh. This is what Spain is to some, right? Is the central part of Spain and then for others it's Andalusia but that's also still considered in some ways part of this Spanish identity but as you said you have what are known as the three historic nationalities which is uh, Catalan or Catalonia, Gallego, Galicia and um, in the Basque country. Uh -huh. the Basque. So those are considered the historic national identities that had started to kind of push for more autonomy, some more than others in the late 19th century, and certainly by the Second Republic in the early 30s. 
-hmm. So those places had already established their relationship to the state in that they wanted more autonomy. And then you get other regions of Spain that I think emerge later, it's sort of if you think of the provincial governments or these other regions like Andalusia, but Asturias begins to claim some kind of regional identity. Mm-hmm. But I would say it's it's weaker than their identity that you get from Catalonia and um, and the Basque country and Galicia. Mm-hmm. I forgot the second half of your question. No, that's no, no. Um, yeah, and how do they influence the? Well, like you said, we talk about national identities, really. Right. Um, oh, so they push. I would say that they push on the central government when the central government. Uh, when it seems as if the central government is encroaching on their rights or their sovereignty or how they perceive that sovereignty. Mm-hmm. And so you could see this as a kind of dialectical relationship between the central government and these other identities. And, you know, sometimes the central government seems more generous than others. And sometimes they need to be pushed to change. Mm-hmm. And the fact is that the, that those contradictions are written into the Spanish constitution. Uh-huh. You know, that Spain is this, it's, I don't have the wording exactly, but Spain is a country of various regions and these regions have autonomy in their own languages, but in the end, um, there can be no such thing as secession or anything like that without the um, sort of vote and consultation or change in the constitution, anything like that. So there's that tension built in about regional national identities and the centralizing state. And mm-hmm. And that's why you get this ebb and flow in certain ways of the national identity and responses to it. So when in this last period, when there was an attempt to have Catalan independence, at least a referendum on it, the centralized government fought back very strongly and jailed people, right? Mm, Which is pretty strong. Mm. Um, And yet you have others on the left in Spain are saying, well, this, they shouldn't have done it this way, but we really should reconsider um, having another kind of referendum and decide on how we're going to deal with Catalonia. Mm, yeah. Yeah, I mean, um, Spain seemed to be a country of referendums in the 70s. You know, they had all the ref- about regional referendums as well. Uh, and, and Galicia didn't go for it, did they? If I remember reading rightly, you know, um, Catalonian and uh, the Basque Country, they both sort of did held the referendums and weren't quite um, strongly for it. But Galicia never sort of doesn't seem to be it's a strong national uh, a strong regional identity, but it doesn't seem to be as as heavy as the other two, as as forceful as the other two, I suppose, or as strong as the other two. Not not as strong, although I think now they have got a stronger national identity movement than they've had since probably the thirties. Oh right, oh, um, and so those three sort of um, they're, they're called the historical regions, aren't they? Or that the historical nationalities. Um, so they they came first. Is that why then in the other regions of Spain, the regional identities are a lot not as not as strong or as prominent as the other three because they sort of came later. That's a good question that I can't necessarily answer. Okay. <laughs> yeah, um, I'd have to, I, I don't really know. I mean, that would be my off the top of my head answer. Uh-huh. But I mean, okay. it's interesting because Valencia has kind of a strong identity and they have, you know, Valenciano, which they, 
you know, teach in the schools, which is very similar to Catalan, but there hasn't been that kind of strong separatist movement that you get in in Catalonia, uh -huh. even though there's certainly cultural similarities between the two. Yeah. Areas. I mean, the other thing is, if you're talking about the 19th century, sorry, mm -hmm. but you really have, especially in Catalonia and the Basque country, actual movements to get people to speak Catalan and Basque, and, you know, get it in the educational system. So they've built up the infrastructure in the 19th century already, late 19th century and early 20th century. Right. So I think you can say that they can, they can kind of pick from those historical roots and run with them in ways that other places couldn't do it as much. But you do have Andalusian national identity in the 1920s um, and 30s as well. Uh-huh. Uh, in fact, I, I talk about that a little bit in my book on this chapter in Andalusia, in my book, Flamenco Nation. Uh-huh. Yeah, um, brilliant. Where, and... Sorry, where Blas Infante, uh, who's considered the father of Andalusian um, nationalism, uh, tries to talk about a nationalism that's still, it's kind of like a federalist state in which you have a certain autonomy for Andalusia. And I've heard, yeah, I've heard Andalusia regional identity is, is you know, coming quite strong again. Um, and and there's that sort of movements within the political parties sort of uh, playing on that as well in, in, in a, well, it depends on how you see it as a good or bad thing. But, um, you know, there's um, one of the recent parties that was it, that was elected to Congress back in December 2019 was uh, Teruel Exist. Uh, Teruel. Mm -hmm. have a, Teruel Existe is their party. They have one MP. Um, <laughs> um, but obviously there's, you know, there's some sort of regional identity there that's, that's um, coming up to the surface. Do you think that the, um, the Spanish national identity sort of supplements regional identities that aren't as strong. What do you mean by that? So, I, I mean, places like Castilla-La Mancha or, Cast, uh, Cast, or Castilla-Leon, that aren't, you know, they, they don't, you, you know, they might say, oh, I'm a Manchego, but they don't really, they're not as, their identity isn't as strong as someone maybe from Catalonia. Um, they identify more with the Spanish nationality or? Yeah, I would say yes. so. I would say so. And in fact, even though we associate, or I should say foreigners associate Andalusia with Spanish national identity, in, in the early 20th century, you had people like Miguel de Unamuno um, and others like him who were pushing Castilla as being Spanish national identity. La Mancha is the land of Don Quixote, uh -huh. and, and this is this is truly Spanish. This is and it's and it's an austere kind of personality and all of this sort of thing that they were talking about. So yes, I think Castilla is always and you know La Mancha and those places really have been associated with Spanish national identity. It's just a different kind of branch, and that tends to be also the more Catholic branch of it as well. Right. Okay, so like more classical Spanish is yes. the sort of more Manchego sort of... Yes, like uh, Golden Age Spain, that is Spain, right? Uh-huh, uh-huh, yeah. Yeah, I suppose the, you know, the Andalusian vibe comes later. Um, right. Or for the more, you know, it's probably the more things they put in holiday brochures. 
Um, yeah, what's well, the romantic, you know, with the big R, the romantic era of Spain is Andalusia, but, uh -huh. but uh, you've got this other kind, which I think is associated more with the, the Catholic tradition and the tradition of, you know, a centralizing Spanish national identity. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And is there any, I mean, I don't know if you can answer this, it's probably like the million dollar question or million euro question, I should probably say. Um, is is there any sort of answer to this, um, to the regional, the, 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 the identities that are always in flux and, you know, with the national identity always sort of getting stronger? Is it always going to be this way or, or is there, it, does there need to be an answer to it, I suppose, is the thing that I wanted to ask? Yeah, I, um, I don't think there is an answer to that. I, I think, no. I, as I said, identity is always in flux. Uh -huh. And so it's all about power. Who's, who has the power? Who's giving up power? Um, yeah. is that, does that become important to, to those people? You know, I can think that's so, I don't know. Uh, because identities change over time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think it also depends on Spain's relationship to the EU. I mean, think about it this way. Who would have thought that Great Britain would not be part of the EU? Yeah. Years ago. Uh-huh. Definitely. And I would say that British national identity has changed considerably just in the last few years. Yeah, I completely agree with you. Yeah, it has. Especially well, for certain people, it has, definitely. And yeah. for people that are pro-European, it has as well. Um, yeah, how do you think being a member of the EU has changed uh, the Spanish identity? Do you think it's made the national identity stronger or regional ones weaker or, or a bit um, of everything? Yeah, I don't... I don't... I have an answer for that because I think I think most of most Spaniards would consider themselves European as part of the EU. Uh-huh. But you have the rise of Vox again, as we talked about. Uh -huh. That I think my guess is if they could be away from EU, the EU, they would. Uh-huh. Because right, the EU imposes certain kinds of rules on individual nations, individual states that people in those states might not necessarily like, and then they rebel against those sorts of things. Mm, yeah. Um, but for those people, I think, who are part of more part of the world capitalist economy, I think they like to see themselves as part of the EU mm -hmm. because it's kind of a bigger field in which to play. Yeah, no, definitely. No, I did see just after the they announced the trillion euro bailout um a couple, it was only a couple of months ago uh for the coronavirus that uh vox started to show like quite openly on the surface um so sort of euro skepticism which they haven't really mentioned a lot before i mean it's been questionable whether it's there or not mm -hmm. um because they're not openly Eurosceptic. but i think a couple of their deputies tweeted things that were suggesting that they might toy with that idea yeah mm -hmm. definitely um so that and and you know it'd be interesting to see if if spanish nationalism rises with uh 
as as that continues, as Vox maybe maybe they get more desperate to get into power. Maybe they push that narrative of being anti-EU. But um, well, it could be. I mean, I was just thinking again. Remember how I mentioned that Catalonia sees themselves as part of Europe and not part of Spain, right? Uh -huh. um, and I think the an analogous place would be Scotland, right? Scotland did not vote to be part of Brexit. They want to be part of the EU. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Definitely. Ireland too, if I'm not mistaken. I mean, yeah, Northern Ireland. Ireland's not part of Great Britain, but like North, you know, the whole stop. Yeah. That thing. But so, but yeah. Scotland is, I think, very much analogous to Catalonia in its relationship uh -huh. to sort of the greater state and the EU. Uh huh. Yeah. No, that's true. And I don't think, uh, as you said, you know, I don't think uh, it, it could depend on on who on how and when or if ever the European Union enforce enforce things on Spain again. Um, you know, the the last austerity that they, they put down um, via Rajoy was sort of, they agreed with it. I mean, it, it coincided with their sort of conservative ideology. Um, and, it, and they didn't want to look bad like Greece did. So, you know, Rajoy sort of went along with it. Yeah. Um, even apparently from what i've read he basically well, not he went in there but his economic advisor went into the to the meeting room with the eu and basically told him yeah we're going to do what you want and, and a bit more or, or this is what we're going to do no um there was no, no negotiation um but i mean one party that that are very eurosceptic on the opposite side are uh, podemos um you know very anti-angela merkel in the in the beginning uh they've toned that down since they've got into government but um but they're also, they're, uh, um, I think, people that associate more with Podemos and, you know, the more modern progressive side of the Pessoe mm -hmm. um, are like uh, uh, people that sort of see the regional identities in Spain as a good thing um, mm -hmm. and, and respect those. Um, but they also um, changed the... It, it influences politics quite a lot because you know Podemos and Pesoe recently just well Podemos more than Pesoe but they lost a lot of seats in in the Galician elections and and the Basque Country elections mm -hmm. um, where the regional governments got a lot of seats um, and as you said earlier uh, Galicia is ha sort of having a drive on on regional identity at the moment so yeah it seems like regional identities are, are here to stay in Spanish politics. <laughs> for now anyway <laughs> yeah for now for now i just think they, they ebb and flow uh-huh we'll see what's going to happen is the ebb and flow but again yeah. i don't like to predict i like to look at the past <laughs> yeah yeah and has it always always ebbed and flowed in in history is that something you talk about in your book yeah i do talk about it some not 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 extensively with the ebb and flow but certainly i i talk about the um the flow in the late 19th and early 20th century uh -huh. um, resurgence again and after Franco. Uh -huh. Yeah, I mean, at least in, in modern, I want to say modern Spain from 1808 up, you know, the, uh -huh. um, certainly you have ebb and flow of these identities. Um, Sandy, can you, tell, can you tell us a bit about your book and where you can get it from? Um, certainly, I would love to do that. Uh, the book is titled Flamenco Nation, The Construction of National Spanish National Identity, uh, published 2009 from, sorry, 2019 from University of Wisconsin Press. 
And um, what I do is I look at how uh, how the how flamenco became associated with Spanish national identity from the early the late 18th century to the present. And um, I tried to write it in a way that a general educated audience could read it. So I encourage you to buy the book now. <laughs> Brilliant. Um, and one other thing is I've just become a co-editor along with Dr. Jennifer Davis of the Journal of Women's History. It's a scholarly journal about women's history. And if you want to learn more about it, go to our website at jwh.ocreate.edu. Thank you. Brilliant. Thank you. Thank you, Sandy, for joining me. There is a third part of that interview, which will be coming in a few weeks' time. And I'd also like to say thank you to the listeners of this podcast. This week, we hit 100 listeners, and we also hit 100 followers on Twitter. So to help this podcast keep growing, and as you know, it started out as a project um, because I was unemployed or still am unemployed at the moment. I go back to work next week. I'm going to be doing a new qualification in my profession um, whilst also trying to write several books. So this podcast uh, will continue. I've decided to continue it, um, but it makes it all the much more worthwhile when we have more listeners. So please share um, this podcast, which is available on Spotify, Apple, and Google. It's also available on my website, um, which is a bit egotistically named after me, um, but alanmaguire.com uh, has all the episodes as well for people that don't uh, have these podcast apps. So again, thank you for listening, and let's see if in the next two months, or, or at least by Christmas, we can reach 200 listeners. That would be absolutely fantastic and just before i go just a reminder that i have a one-off interview uh this week uh, coming out on the 11th of september which is the catalan national day uh where i will be interviewing alicia hernandez grande uh regarding the catalan identity but also the history behind the independence movement i hope you have a great week adios Thank you.